Now, as we've been looking over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the topic of community. Firstly, we looked at how God made us for community with him and with others. Then we looked at how we've broken that community by our sin against God. And then last week, we looked at how we need truth and grace in our relationships, and Jesus brings both. And this week, we'll have a look at the important topic of love in community. Here's a little quiz to do at home with those in your household. Okay, love is, and I want you to pick maybe one or more of these options. Love is a strong feeling for someone. That is an attraction, perhaps a strong feeling for someone. Point two, love is doing something for someone. So if you've grown up in an Asian household like I have, you'll never hear the words, I love you, from mum and dad, but they will show you love by getting you another bowl of medicinal soup. Okay, so is love just doing something for someone? Point three, love is something that happens to you. You fall in love. Uh, It's not within your control. Love is making someone happy. Love is making someone happy. Have Have a think, maybe... Put down on paper one or more of those options. And later on in the service, I'm actually going to define what I think love is. So listen out for that. Let's pray and ask God for his help. Gracious Father God, we thank you for your word that teaches us your truth. And please help us to understand what love is by understanding who you are and who Jesus is. Help us uh, to look at your word and help me as I speak from your word. Help me to do that faithfully, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, All you need is love. Love is all you need. So sang the Beatles back in 1967 to the background of the Summer of Love and the background of anti-Vietnam War sentiments. It seems like such a simple, universal message. We need love. And I don't think any community would disagree with that statement. But I think there's confusion about what love is. For example, I think if you ask any Vietnam War veteran, they would say that they were treated with anything but love when they returned from the war. They had to fight in a war they were conscripted to. Love is a word that is thrown around so much that many would say it's obvious what love means. But I think it's the opposite. It's almost devoid of any agreed meaning. Take, for example, the referendum for marriage equality a few years ago. On the yes side, the slogan was a vote for love, implying that if you voted no, you were voting for a lesser reason or you're simply unloving. And the no side, I think, lost the marketing war because their slogan was, it's okay to say no. But in fact, most of the people I know who voted no voted out of love for those in their community. It raises the question, doesn't it? What is love? I think often love has meant to to mean, has come to mean unconditional affirmation in an age of social media and, and this desire to be validated. We feel loved when we feel validated, when people like the things in our life that we share on Facebook or Instagram. But is that love? Well, today I want to do three things in the talk. Firstly, from the Bible, I want to answer the question, what is love? Secondly, I want to say we need to be loved by Jesus. And then thirdly, we need to love like Jesus. Well, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more, according to Hadaway. 
What's love but a second-hand emotion? cried Tina Turner. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me, said Foreigner. It must have been love, but it's over now, said Roxette. I, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s, the era of big hair and power ballads about love. And to be honest, I think that's where I formed my ideas of love. From Casey Kasem's Top 40 Countdown, from rom-coms with Meg Ryan and Hugh Grant. And I don't think this was particularly helpful for me. I want to encourage you, don't form your ideas of love from your culture. Go to the starting point of love. Go to God himself. 1 John 4 verse 8, as we saw in Kirsty's great uh, kids talk, God is love. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. The starting point for any definition of love is God. God is love. Now notice it's not the other way around. Love is God. Because if your starting point is love, then you define what love is and you call that God. I think that's where the notion of unconditional affirmation has come to mean something like this. Love is this. This must be God. Therefore, love is God. But when you start with God, you must look at who God is to determine what love looks like. And I think one of the things we see about God is God is other-centered. Love is other-centered and not necessarily man-centered. Well, what do I mean by this? Love existed before God made man, before God made anything. There was love between the three persons of the Trinity. The Father loved the Son, the Son loved the Father. The Spirit pointed not to himself, but to the Son. Each person of the Trinity is committed to seeking the good of the others in the Trinity. And then from this union, the Trinity seeks to bring us into this loving koinonia fellowship. The Father, Son, and Spirit seek our good. Here's one of these verses in John's Gospel that shows us this. Chapter 17, verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Love existed before we did. If God is love, then we would expect that image bearers of God, well, we would expect to reflect the richness and deepness of God's love. Love is a big subject. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves, looking at four different types of love mentioned in the New Testament. Affection, friendship, romantic love, and the most important love he calls charity. And I want to focus on this particular love. The Greek word in the New Testament calls this agape. Agape is the dominant word used for love in the New Testament. It appears many times. Agape love is self-sacrificial, other-centered love. Agape looks at what is good for the other and is determined to do that good. Agape love describes how God loves us but also how we should love God and how we should love each other. And the Bible is clear that the greatest expression of agape love is the cross of Jesus Christ. Apostle John in 1 John 4, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, 
Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And here is the Apostle Paul describing how the cross of Christ is God's expression of love to unlovely and unworthy sinners, us. Romans 5, verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The cross is the model of how a husband should love his wife. Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. When I prepare marriage couples, uh, marriage, couples for marriage, I say to the husband, your model for loving your wife is crucifixion. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. And God says, I did. Look at the cross and you will see how I love you. Well, we're going to look at this in more detail. Let me provide a working definition of love. Love is a determination to do what is good for the other at the cost of self. Let me say that again. Love is a determination to do what is good for the other at the cost of self. Well, let's move to our second point as we unpack this definition of love. Let's have a look at the love of Jesus shown to us on the cross. Here's the second point. We need to be loved by Jesus. The context of John 13 is it's the night before Jesus' death. And during this time, Jesus gathers his 12 disciples for one last meal, one last time of fellowship and teaching and prayer. And later that evening, Judas, one of the disciples, will betray Jesus. Peter, another, will deny him, and the rest will abandon Jesus. And even knowing how they will treat him, Jesus knows that in a matter of hours when he dies on the cross, he will show the fullness of his love to these disciples. And so in the final time before Jesus goes to do this, he's going to help them understand what the cross is all about. Verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now the end spoken of here is not what Jesus does next. The end refers to the cross, his death for many. But what Jesus is about to do next is helping the disciples understand the type of love that Jesus is going to show on the cross. Jesus stoops down and he washes the disciples' feet one by one. It must have been incredibly shocking and awkward. You see, foot washing was the work of a lowly servant in the house, because feet in sandals were exposed to dirty, dusty, smelly roads. And foot washing was unthinkable for a rabbi, anyone in authority, let alone Jesus, whom they considered their Lord and their master. This act of love was an act of humble, other-centered service. And it would be still shocking today. Imagine, imagine the President of the United States inviting you over to the White House for dinner and then he or she stoops down to wash your feet before dinner. And this unthinkable act of Jesus is only pointing to an even more unthinkable act of love. Listen to Paul in Philippians 2. 
He, Jesus, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We're so used to hearing of people in authority abusing their power for their own advantage, often at the expense of others, whether that be luxury watches or secret deals with suppliers or scapegoating blame onto others. But the cross is the very opposite of this. It's power expressed in humility. It's love shown in service for the good of the other at the cost to self. This is the love of Jesus. Peter is uncomfortable with this love, and he expresses what everyone in the room is thinking in verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Again, Jesus is talking about the cross. He's saying that if you want to be accepted by God, you must be washed clean of your sin. And the only way to have your sin dealt with is through the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, the cross points to our problem. Sin is our problem. Our rejection of God is our problem. Our sin deserves God's judgment and death, eternal separation from God. But God's love meant that he sent us a saviour and a sacrifice. A saviour who could save us from sin and from death. A sacrifice who could die in our place. God's love responds to our greatest need. And our greatest need is a solution to our sin. We need the cross. Do you think love is making someone happy? or doing what is good for them. They're not always the same thing, are they? You see, what Peter wanted from Jesus was he wanted a military king. He wanted someone for the Jews who was stronger than the Romans. He wanted power, not weakness. Peter had no room for a suffering servant king like Jesus. Peter had no room for a cross. In fact, Peter was ready to draw his sword and to fight for power. But what Jesus knew about Peter was behind that bravado was the heart of a coward. And even deeper still in that heart was the heart of a sinner. And Peter needed what Jesus gave him. Jesus looked past all that and he gave Peter a saviour on a cross who would wash him clean of his sin and forgive him of his guilt. You might pray and you might ask God for all sorts of things that you want as proof of love. But I want you to know that God loves you so much that he has already shown you a solution to your greatest need. He provided his son, your savior, on a cross for your sin. Love involves a cost to self. In fact, love involves costly substitution. Jesus dies on the cross so we would not die. John three sixteen. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The Apostle John refers to Jesus' death as a sacrifice of atonement or a propitiation in some versions. A propitiation or a sacrifice is something that turns God's anger away from sin, away from us and towards the sacrifice, and that is Jesus. In other words, Jesus is our substitute. One dies so that many do not need to die. Every time you watch a book or a film where the main character dies to save many, in a moment of loving sacrifice, that is an echo of the cross. Whether this is Aslan from the Chronicles of Narnia, or the T-1000 cyborg from Terminator 2, or whether that is Tony Stark from the Avengers Endgame, great love always involves costly substitution. It is true of Jesus' love, and it is true of our love. This coming Wednesday is Remembrance Day, and you should set aside time to remember. Remember the loving sacrifice of so many who gave their lives in wars for our good. In the Shrine of Remembrance in Melbourne, on the 11th hour, on the 11th day of the 11th month, a beam of light shines on the words of a plaque in the middle of the shrine, and the words read, Greater love hath no man. And this, of course, is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, where Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus is telling his disciples to love one another and to love like him, because the greatest love is Jesus laying down his life for his friends, even his enemies. The Shrine of Remembrance, one of the most sacred places in Melbourne, at the heart of that shrine is an echo of the cross. Love is determination, isn't it? It's not just emotion. Let me ask you, do you have to feel in love in order to love? I think that's what many people think. In fact, it's often said that unless you are true to your feelings... You are not being loving. I want to show you that I think the opposite is true. Sometimes you have to do the very opposite of what you feel in order to love. On the night before Jesus died, Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He asked God that the cup of suffering might be taken away from him. In other words, Jesus didn't want to suffer the excruciating agony of the cross. Imagine experiencing the judgment for billions of sinners. Who could blame Jesus if he wanted to save the world in another way? Now, I want you to notice what Jesus was feeling a few verses earlier in Mark 14, verse 33. And he took him, with him Peter and James and John and began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. What is Jesus feeling? Distress, troubled, sorrowful. He is incredibly stressed. Another account of the Gospels tell us that his sweat was like drops of blood. Jesus is churned up inside. 
He's about to be betrayed, denied, abandoned by his closest friends. He's about to receive the sin and then the judgment of the world and die a horrific and humiliating death on a cross. Of course, Jesus is not feeling great about it. When I was growing up, I used to think that it was easy for Jesus to die on a cross. Isn't that why he came? And and doesn't he love me? And when you love someone, it's easy, isn't it? How wrong I was about Jesus and about love. A few years ago, the uh, Pixar movie Inside Out was released. And it's a story about a girl who has a very happy life until she has to move across the country And there's another story going on inside her. There are two emotions battling to control her life. There's Joy, who had control for most of her life, and now sadness is starting to gain more control over her. And basically, the message of the movie is that it's okay for Joy and sadness to be in control of your emotions. Life is often bittersweet, after all. And I think the movie did at least one good thing, and that was to tell us that life isn't just about being happy. But the problem with the movie is that it affirms the message that our society holds onto, and that is you are controlled by your emotions. What you feel, whether that is happiness, sadness, grief, anger, is who you are. What the movie fails to mention is your will. God gave you not only emotions, but he gave you a will, separate to your emotions, a will to reason, a will to act on the basis of love, regardless of what your emotions say at times. I want you to hear this, especially if you're younger. You have been told that you are the sum total of your feelings, and you are much, so much more than this, because God gave you a will so that you don't have to be a slave to your emotions. I want you to see what Jesus did with his emotions. When he prayed that night in the garden, he said to God his Father, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus submitted his emotions to his will, and then he submitted his will to his Father's will. All for the sake of loving a world that hated him. And after praying this, Jesus walked the path that led to the cross. Was Jesus true to his feelings? No. And I will be forever grateful. Was Jesus loving? Yes, he was. He loved you so much that he gave his life for you. We need to be loved by Jesus through the cross. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Let me ask you, have you received the love of Jesus? There is a hunger in our community for love, a love that is deep and satisfying, a love that seeks the good of others, a love that is loyal and never fails, a love that sees you at your worst and gives you its best, and that love is found only in Jesus. Here are the words of one of my favorite hymns. My song is love unknown, my Savior's love to me. Love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be. Oh, who am I that for my sake my Lord should take frail flesh and die.
If you want to experience that kind of love, you must make room for the cross in your life. And it's both the simplest and the hardest thing to do. Simple because you don't bring anything to the relationship with Jesus except your sin. All you need to do is to trust Jesus, believe in him. You don't need to perform. You don't need to pretend with Jesus. But it's so hard because you have to swallow your pride. You have to admit that you need Jesus to serve you. We need to be loved by Jesus. Well, here's the third and final point. We need to love like Jesus. And I want to speak specifically now to those of you who confess to following Jesus because Jesus commands us to love. A necessary response to Jesus' love on the cross is that we love as we have been loved. John 13, verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus goes on to say in verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. The old commandment was love your neighbor as yourself. But this new commandment comes with a deeper experience of God's love on the cross. Because not only did Jesus love his neighbor, he loved his enemy on the cross. The cross forms the basis of our love for others. 1 John 4 verse 10. God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John said a few verses earlier that if we do not love like this, we show that we do not know God. Because if you truly know the love of the cross, you will want to show that same love to others. And you can even love people who are difficult to love. How do you do that? Well, if you look to the person you're loving to find the strength to love, that's going to run out, isn't it? If you look to yourself to love a difficult person, that's going to run out. But here we are to look to the cross where there is endless love, to love someone who's difficult to love. There is no room for self-centered consumerism in the gospel of Jesus. You are not a consumer of love. You are a practitioner of love. Let me give you an example. COVID-19 has brought out the best and the worst in our community. Uh, do you remember all those months ago, one of the worst behaviors was the hoarding of toilet paper and pasta? Oh, that's a self-centered consumer attitude, isn't it? As long as me and my household are fine, who cares about anyone else? And so people were stockpiling hundreds, even thousands of rolls of toilet paper in their house. And pensioners were the most affected by this because they could not compete with people buying bulk packs of toilet paper. Now, if there were followers of Jesus amongst the stockpilers, shame on us. Shame on us. Because John says in 1 John, 4, uh, 1 John 3 verse 16, By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 
But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. One of the best things I've seen during the pandemic is seeing your generosity, my brothers and sisters, in Christ. We established a hardship fund this year for people in very difficult circumstances because of this pandemic. People who've lost their jobs or could not get, uh, or whose visas could, meant that they could not get JobKeeper. And over this year, a significant amount of money has been given to the hardship fund. Just last month alone, you responded to the call for more funds and $14,000 was given. And more than half of the total amount of funds has already been distributed to people in need to help with rent, groceries and utilities. The same can be said for the way that you've responded to the food bank for the international students at La Trobe Uni. This is love. But it's not just uh, loving by giving money or food. It's also loving like Christ by giving your time. Uh, We were so encouraged last month to hear from one of our deacons who has spent much of this year visiting families in the hardest situations helping them to access the hardship fund. But what got me was how she would grieve with these families, at times just sitting on the floor in sadness, praying for, pointing them towards Jesus. That is loving like Jesus. Like the cross, not just with words, but with actions and truth. Loving like Jesus means obeying Jesus. Jesus loved God his Father, and he obeyed him. If we are to love like Jesus, we too will obey Jesus' commands. Jesus said this in John 15, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. And normally we think love is the freedom to pursue what we want, to insist on our rights. I don't have to wear a mask. I don't have to do this or that. But in fact, Love is about obedience to Jesus and doing what is good for the other. If you want to experience life to the full, then trusting and obeying Jesus is a priority. About money, about speech, about the way we conduct ourselves in relationships, we need to obey Jesus. Loving like Jesus means being quick to listen and slow to speak. Uh, Jesus had a distinct advantage because he knew what was in a man's heart. You and I don't, so we need to learn how to listen. And most of us, I think, are good at talking and not listening, but we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. In fact, some of us are good at interrupting others, and, and that's not loving, is it? Often we have so much to say, but just because we're a good talker doesn't mean we're a good listener. Active listening, I think, is what I call informing your love. How can you love someone unless you understand them? And how can you understand them unless you listen to them? Then your love can be shaped towards them. Learn how to listen by asking questions. Learn how to listen to those answers so that you can ask more questions and so you can listen to more. 
And it's not a technique. It's driven by a heart of love. Uh, When I listen to people in conversations, I'm also saying short and quiet prayers to God to help me understand. I'm also praying and asking God to show me Bible passages that I might, once they're finished sharing, that I might share with them for their good. But if I'm too busy thinking of what I want to say to get it off my chest, well, all those opportunities to love are lost. And many years ago, one of my ministry mentors taught me that one of the most loving things you can do for someone else is to let them be heard. Well, loving like Jesus means forgiving as Jesus forgave us. We are not to be people who bear grudges. We're not to harbor bitterness or resentment. We're to be people who love our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. Like the father in the story of the lost son in Luke 15, we are to be people who are ready to forgive when people come to us and say sorry. And that is one of the hardest things to do. But if we struggle with this, we need to look to the cross, don't we, to see how Jesus forgave us. And then we need to entrust ourselves to God to obey this command to forgive others. Loving like a Jesus means sharing the message of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul says that the love of Christ compelled him that one died and therefore all died. And it was this love of Jesus that meant that Paul shared the message of reconciliation with others. Sinners can be reconciled with God and, and we can share this wonderful message. It is the most loving message we can share. The love of Christ is greater than our fear of looking silly, of feeling awkward, of being rejected. The love of Christ compels us to share the gospel of Jesus. Loving like Jesus means meeting together. Hebrews 10 verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And it's been a long time since we've been able to do that as a large gathering here on Sundays in this building. And we're still waiting for permission to do that, even today. We're waiting to hear the responses of this new um, uh, press conference. But with the easing of restrictions to gather outdoors and in houses, can I encourage you to not give up meeting? Last weekend, our family were able to catch up with another family after the service on Sunday in Bundura Park. And on Tuesday, on Cup Day, we were able to meet another household. And can I say it was wonderful after eight months to meet in person with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Even though we can't meet as a large gathering, use these smaller gatherings to love and good works. Invite someone to watch the live stream with you and then have lunch with them. I know of at least one growth group who this week were able to meet outside for a social gathering because they were 10 people. And it can be easy to give up because you're frustrated You want things to go back to normal. Or maybe you're feeling that it's going to be too awkward to start doing that again. But commit those feelings to God in prayer and then love. When we love like Jesus, the world will see it. 
That's what Jesus said. By this will everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Because of COVID-19, we missed the death of one of our great Australians. Dr. Catherine Hamlin, who died in March in Ethiopia. She and her husband, Reg, both committed followers of Jesus, left Sydney for a planned trip of three years to serve in Ethiopia. And Catherine Hamlin died there 60 years later. Having established a fistula hospital in Addis Ababa and helping an estimated 60,000 women. In our country, with good medical care, we can avoid obstructed labours, but in other countries, fistulas leave women with incontinence, with pain, discomfort, infection, possibly even death. They also face social isolation and deep self-consciousness. Obstetric fistulas are the result of poverty. And most women in the world who suffer from these fistulas are forgotten and rejected, but not to Jesus and not to Catherine Hamlin. Over the years, people recognize their love. Catherine Hamlin was visited by Prince Charles and Princess Mary. She was interviewed on Oprah, and she was twice nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. A book has been written about her called The Hospital by the River. But hanging on the wall of the hospital is what drove Reg and Catherine Hamlin. A verse from the Bible, Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, what you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Love for Jesus and love for others. This is the love you and I need, and this is the love that you and I need to show, and this is the love our community needs. Let me pray for us. Gracious Father God, we give you thanks that you have shown us love, for you are love. You sent your precious one and only Son into the world that we might be forgiven for our sin. And we are humbled and shocked by this radical love. Gracious Father God, help us to show that kind of radical love in our community, a community that is divided and broken by selfishness, by demanding of rights, by power abused. Please help us, Father, to be different and help us to point people to the eternal love of Jesus. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.